I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Well, hello there and welcome to WTA Weekly. And I am very happy to see that it is my Jack Edward alongside me today. Jack, how are you doing? Good, thanks, Nick. Yeah. What was that? What's just happened? What's this little thumb? Is that for me doing that? That's, that's something that, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's something that I do have a Mac or an iPad um, and like an Apple product. I do, yeah. I do. Yeah, so it's part, it's part of their video calling software. It's included in that. So. How can I how can I not do it again? Okay, well <laughs> anyway, that was cool. Um yeah, I'm good, thanks. I'm good, thanks, Nick. Just off the court today, doing a bit of coaching. So I'm fresh aired, I'm ready to go. Um yeah, let's talk some W2. Tennis brain fully engaged. That's what we like to see. Um all right, well, let's start with the main headline of uh WTA uh this week, which is Abu Dhabi. Uh, the 500 level event, uh, main kind of warm up we're going to have for uh, the Middle East double that starts. Um, and we're going to be talking a little bit more about uh, the Middle East double kind of later. But uh, what I wanted to sort of go forward is uh, well, the headline is Elena Rabakina has won it. Um, Elena Rabakina and Yelena Ostapenko are the only two women to have won 500 titles this year. And we've had four already. Um, and uh, yeah, she's done. Uh, amazing job. Interesting uh, that her and Ostapenko, similar runs in the last couple of weeks, had tested in their opening match and then straight onto the title. But yeah, today, Elena Rabakina beat Daria Kasatkina in the final. Jack, is Elena Rabakina back on track? 
Yeah, not really. I think she was. I think she was the pretty heavy favourite for the tournament. Anyway, in my opinion, you know, looking at the other seeds, Kuchikova still looking for a little bit of form. Shabur don't really trust her on a hard court, even if she does get the odd very good win. Kasatkina, def- I knew that final was going to be barely one sided. Had a pretty good idea of that. Uh, it's a pretty bad matchup. So I, I don't think it tells us that much more. Then we already knew, Nick. Um, I, I think we're kind of waiting for Rebecca to to win slams, you know, if, if if any this year, and that's the kind of target she'll have set herself. I think anything else, maybe a WCA one thousand. Obviously, that would be that would be really really nice, and it's not a given she'll win one of those. But I, my point is, I, I think she needs to be doing really well at the big events for us to be like now, uh, Rebecca is back on track. I mean, I can see what you mean about the matchup with Kasatkina, although I don't know how they managed to go that ding-dong-like match they had in Canada last year that took absolutely ages. It was an epic, um, really. And, um, I mean, we'll get into it, but like the final was interesting because Rebecca did run away with the first set a bit, but the second set, um, Kasatkina made it difficult, like really really difficult like racket away to break up Kasakina broke back and there were lots of long rallies and I was interested that Rebecca was trying to match Kasakina's resilience and craftiness and it was kind of working but it was making them very even and then Rebecca just broke at the latter end of that set um to then uh take the match so um I think that says a little bit more about Kasakina's game we'll get into but I do see what you're you're saying that yeah obviously bigger events we need to see how um how our backing her is um Doha should be interesting uh, I think given it's the week after my concern would be that maybe she's gonna uh, struggle a little bit uh more given like what happened in Adelaide falling straight mm-hmm. off from Brisbane but let's see about that um yeah and um, one, one, one note I'd make on Abu Dhabi, I do feel like normally the tournament's a little bit more loaded. Uh, I, I'm sure last year we probably had like nine of the top ten in there or something. It, it might have been something absurd like that. And what this year we've got, Rebecca, Jabour, that might be it. Is that it? Just the three players? Is there somebody I'm missing there? Three in there some... as well, yeah. I mean, you've got Stepenko, like, Haddad Meyer knocking on the door. Who were yeah. there? Um, I know last year, last year's Abu Dhabi, Kasakina was the top seed, Benchich was second, and Rebecca was third. Okay, clearly not last year then. But I, I do feel like there was one year I was like, oh my god, this is a crazy tournament. Um, like it doesn't really matter. You beat the players in front of you. There were some good players there. Sam Sonova was somebody who pigeonized Rebecca, so it was good for her to get that that win finally in the fifth attempt. But again, that's my feeling. That's my feeling. I don't feel like there was anybody she really, you know, had to beat there that she they hadn't beat before. It wasn't any top ten players that you know she kind of could have established a bit of a head to head advantage on going into slams. Again, it's all about the bigger events for me for for Rebecca. Now she's too good a player for me to say five hundred win back on track. No, I don't think so. Let's talk a little bit about Rebecca's run, though, because there were a couple of players in there that were interesting. So the, the Collins uh, match right at the start, that ended up being a pretty good match. Um, Collins uh, threw all she had at Rebecca and Rebecca came through it. I didn't see it. I don't know if you did. Um, but from what I gather, that was a that was a good one for Rebecca. 
um, given Collins kind of brought it. Yeah, I mean, she was the down a set twice down a break as well in the second set um, against Collins. So she she scrapped. She's not, you know, kind of like Iga. I wouldn't say those two players, Rebecca and Iga, are the players that are best known for making big comebacks. Um, so for her to kind of grit her teeth and, and come through that, I feel like when something's off in their games, they're maybe not the best at finding ways to win ugly. Um, I, you know, I'm sure we can pick out certain matches for the two of them that would say otherwise. But as a general rule of thumb, I, I don't feel like the two of them are that good at that compared to other players. So um, maybe that's a little bit out of the ordinary. Maybe it shows that going into majors, she'll find a way to to win these matches. I mean, the one she lost at Australia, that's about the ugliest match. I, well, the, the ugliest, most beautiful match I can think of at the Australian Open. And uh, Rebecca and I came out the other side as the, the loser. So maybe there's a bit more of a grittiness, we could argue, but that's about the only kind of bonus point, I would say, for Rebecca. Now, it's, it's not much has changed for me in the landscape of things. Uh, but the other one I wanted to... I, do you know what, you're the ideal person I want to pick your brains on about is this Sam Sonova matchup because you mentioned that mm. Sam Sonova had pigeonized, you know, Rebecca hadn't won a match against um, her until... Well, this this week, um, she was zero four down the head to head. She's finally won against Sam Sonova, um, mm. and uh, I've struggled to work out why that was. To me, those it should should have been a much more even matchup because when Sam Sonova's on, um, she can be anyone, and I know you'd agree with that because you're really big on Sam Sonova. Mm. Uh, but uh, I wasn't expecting it to take this long for Rebecca to turn it around and. Even this time, it took Sam Sonova having a bit of an off day. But what are your thoughts on that matchup? <laughs> I used to be bigger than Sam Sonova, by the way. I'm, I'm slowly losing the belief a little bit. It's, it's not been a great patch of uh, seasons for her. I mean, she's still getting to big finals and stuff, in fairness to her. But she doesn't really have that unpredictability factor that she kind of did. I do expect the bigger players to, to beat her most of the time i would say i i don't think there was much of a you know it's, it's WTA things i don't think there was a crazy difference in matchup and samson was one of those players that is just such a big hitter she could she can be anybody and the four matches they've played have been fairly close i don't think there's anything that crazy the only thing i might say is that rebecca is used to a little bit more time in the ball she is used to dictating play and samson was just not gonna let you do that so on the days that she has played there She's not, you know, she doesn't get as many, um, she doesn't get as many looks in on the return, I would say. So, uh, like, Sam Sansonova will go for it on the return, and she'll go for it on her next shot. So, you know, if she's feeling it on the day, Rebecca might just not have got a look in on return, and that's maybe not what she's used to. That's that's the only thing I would say, but generally, you just got to give a bit of credit to Sansonova. Like Ostapenko, fully capable of taking a 4-0 lead over some of the top players and then losing the next match. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if Iga comes out and beats Ostapenko the next time they, they meet. I think it would be ridiculous if Iga never beat Ostapenko. I suppose the, the other thing I would say about that matchup, though, uh, Nick, is that Ostapenko really does have a pretty good matchup uh, differential, I guess, against Iga, and that she really doesn't like the sort of faster, harder shots. That's not the case for Rebecca necessarily. I don't think there's a matchup discrepancy so much, Nick. Just uh, yeah. Rebecca managed to get this one when she didn't manage to get the other ones. Yeah, which is, yeah, it's a little bit more uh, kind of confusing, I guess. Um, all right, well, I let's go and talk a bit about Daria Kasatkina, who made the final. It's her second 500 final of the year. She made Adelaide as well. Um, 
And I wanted to, I don't know if you saw that match with Haddad Meyer that she had in the semi-finals, which I think Vanch and James were both saying is probably the best WTA match of the year so far. Um, certainly the ball striking quality from both are really, really good. The, the obviously long rallies, uh, really great watch. Mm. Uh, but something that's been picked up is Kasakina seems to be playing a little bit more aggressively. Um, I don't know if that's something you've picked up on, but um, what are your thoughts on Kasakina's run and whether you're seeing any kind of changes or improvements? Yeah, definitely a little bit more Bainham, I would say, in our forehand on hard courts recently. Um, to the naked eye, it's a little tough to tell if she's flattening it out more. She might be a little bit, certainly not our forte, given how much spin she generally puts on the ball. I think maybe a little bit, but honestly, I think Kasakina is one of those players that I was very surprised when she went on that poor run last year. It was it last year or was that two years ago now? Can't remember now, Nick. All these seasons played into one. Whatever it was that Kasakina went on that run of just like losing match after match. I honestly, whatever it was, fitness, whatever, just not feeling her game. She should 100% be beating players that are ranked below her and probably losing to players that are ranked above her. She's got that just amazing baseline. I wouldn't say she's that much of a pusher either, to be honest. Like she can, as you say, be a bit more aggressive when she needs to. But she's just got she's got it all worked out. She's one of the craftiest tennis players out there, honestly. She's not under aggressive. She's not too consistent. I think she gets the balance perfect. Um, so yeah, against Hada Maya, we knew that was going to be a slog. Uh, I'm not surprised the ball striking quality was amazing. Like it would have been amazing to I didn't see it, Nick. I would have been amazing okay. to watch. I I did see it and I thought it was a really, really good match. And I was surprised no one was making like I wasn't seeing tweets from people going, This is amazing, but it was nice to see James and Vanch both tweeting afterwards that yeah, yeah that was a that was a really good watch. Um uh, and yeah, it was it was fantastic. And yeah, actually Kasakina's win account was unusually high for her. Um, it has to be said. But the yeah, the it was tight. It went to a deciding tiebreak. Um, yeah, really, really good quality battle between the two. And there wasn't I got the sense throughout the match that Kasakina had the edge. She mm -hmm. definitely should have won it. Um, it would have been real, uh, it would have been a really good gritted out win for Haddad Maya had she got it, but yeah. Um, I swear by the way, Haddad Maya is like a prime ingredient for a good match. I think I think she's been featured in some of the best matches of the last like three four years or so. Like she's such a good player. I really like her. Yeah, so she's in a. Yeah, I agree, and um, yeah, she's knocking on the door. Top. So far, seems to be at least getting one or two matches of a tournament under her belt, which is what she needs. Yeah. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I think the other kind of big talking point from... Abu Dhabi is on Shabbat, uh, who lost to Haddad Meyer in the quarterfinals. She beat Emma Raducanu in the opening match, and Ons looked really, really good in that opening match with Emma. Um, outplayed her, um, used all her variety was there, 
um, resisted Emma's attempt at a comeback in the opening set. But then against Haddad Meyer, was clearly fighting our heart out, but was also in tears just before getting decisively broken. Um, nothing as yet as to why, whether it's something physical, whether there's something else going on the behind the scenes, it's not worth speculating because we don't know. Um, but it's it's not looking good for Oms right now. Yeah, I, maybe it could have been... Was she, was she losing at that point, Nick, or she wasn't losing? She was set and fourth. It, she was a set down four all in the second. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it could be. I, I think I remember her getting. She was very upset when she lost in Monaster um, last year as well. Obviously, that's in Tunisia, but and um, this, you know, is still an Arab country. I guess I think maybe it means a, a lot to her to play these tournaments and hopefully do well. So maybe there was just a feeling the match was slipping away from her and she couldn't deliver in a place that really, really meant a lot to her. It could be that, potentially, Nick. I don't know. Um, it's it's a shame, but I will just go back to what I said before. I I just, I just do, I don't really trust on, on a hard court. I just I don't think she's got that much of an edge over her fellow players, you know, over big hitters generally. Haramai is not the biggest hitter, to be fair. She's more of a, a consistent player and... Had Chabur been playing a bit better, I would have expected her, I guess, to get the win. But it still doesn't surprise me that she's lost there, Nick. I, I honestly think we could look up our hardcore records, and I might do it just in case to back myself up. And I yeah. bet you she wouldn't be far off 50-50 for, for her what, career. What, what's the point of having Jack Edward on the show and there being no stats? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly, Nick. Let's get up. Let's get up. Let me find Let's out. get up on Chabur's hardcore record. Like, bearing in mind, we're talking about the hardcore record of someone who made a US Open final. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know that's so. I, I honestly think the US Open is the outlier there. I don't think that's the norm. Like, I, I honestly think she carried her form from Wimbledon into that tournament, and it was a proper scrap to get there, by the way. But I, I when she lost in the first round of the next event, it's just it wasn't surprising at all. Uh, right, okay, Nick, what's your guess? Uh, so what are you? What are we guessing? Like wins, loss, or percentage? Win percentage. Win percentage on hard court. Yeah, fifty-four. That seems like a good guess. Let's go. Let me just work it out. <laughs> That's not far. It's not far. 59%. So I was a little harsh. 59%. I was being a little harsh. I was like, no, it's probably going to be in the 50s. Um, so I, I definitely thought it was over 50. And what about versus top 20 players? Top 20? Yeah. I'm going to guess it's lower. Um, 36? Pretty much spot on. 38%. <laughs> Uh, win rate against top 20 players on a hard court and that's not surprising the the reason for that is pretty obvious you know she relies a lot on variety relies on different shots and spins and speeds but if you're on a hard court everything bounces pretty true the opponent can read it pretty easily there's not as much kind of moving about of the player you could do on a grass court or even a clay court where the drop shot's much more effective yeah you need something to be happening to the ball when it reacts to the court, that's a little bit unpredictable to be able to use all this variety. And unfortunately, Jabur's meat and potatoes, forehand and serve, aren't the strongest compared to other players. So it's not surprising that she gets beat fairly regularly on hard courts. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I would agree with that. You're right. The bounce on clay and grass is going to suit the kind of spins and variety that she puts in, particularly the drop shot. Mm -hmm. Um I guess we're about almost wrapping up on Abu Dhabi, but I did want to uh, quickly mention Emma Raducanu. Um, mm -hmm. 
obviously got through the first round um her first match uh i was um very happy to see the way she beat bushkova um mm-hmm. kind of resisted bushkova's attempt to kind of grind her out um and kind of was definitely outplaying her at points i was liking how big she she was going for her shots the first time i've seen emma going for her shots in a while um but then i i felt like that she was able to compete with ons for portions of the match but ons was having a good day on a hard court that day and yeah definitely. promising signs for this comeback for emma still yeah uh, yeah do i want to be harsh here i'm not gonna be too harsh i'm not gonna be too harsh you're right she played really well against Buskova. so there's loads of positives there but but i just i think people need to let go of this idea that she's going to be at the top of the game um I think there's still a lot of British fans that are expecting that because she won a slam. And it's like, where's Emma's old level? I think we just need to let her do what she's going to do, see where she's going to get. My honest gut feeling is that she could break the top 50 fairly soon, and that might be as far as she goes. I just I just think, honestly, the, the run at the US Open was fantastic, and she 100% did play better than she has been playing since then. And there's clear signs that you know that's a peak that she could achieve you know that that's what the argument people will make will be but i, I think there was just uh, there was something in the air that fortnight i mean for a qualifier to get through and not drop a single set and a lot of those matches have their separate stories i, I just feel like her winning a slam against probably not gonna happen i would put a big bet on that and i do think that she's a great player and she'll have the odd match where she plays really really well but I think it's unlikely from what I've seen from the weaponry, you know, I've seen if you compare that to other top players that she kind of joins the top 10 or even 20. I think she's probably like 30 mark for me. That's 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 my honest feeling, Nick. And I would love Emma to prove me wrong, but that's that's just my assessment of her game and where it stands and what's likely to happen with it. I think the the, the real test is what is a player's peak and how often do they get anywhere near it? What's the B game? Yeah. Like as well because most like most players will be coming through on their b game or even c and with emma we know her a game is enough to compete with the best in the world to beat top 20 players and not one of top 10 play being a top 10 player, but she can beat top 20. top uh the question is is that whether what her b game can produce because when we see her b game she's scrapping with top 40 top 50. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that way of putting it, Nick. Because if you, if your B game's not good enough, you don't win titles. You need you need a good enough B game to win titles. And the Fortnite that she won the US Open, I don't think she ever had to draw on her B game. That was that was, what was so weird about it. And her play, the players she played almost let her play her A game. She had like Cerebes Tormo in the third round, absolute pusher. Love Cerebes Tormo, but she gave you know Radicano the grounds to dictate that match. Shelby Rogers in the fourth round. She played one of the nerviest matches I've ever seen from a top 30, whatever the ranking she was at the time, player in my life. She just didn't appear, basically. Sakari in the sec- uh, the semi-finals. We know what Sakari's like in slam semi-finals. She gets in her own head. She wasn't able to deliver. Fernandez in the final, you know, fellow, fellow just like out of nowhere player. There's a, Yeah, there's a lot of stories to that US Open run. And I don't think it's indicative of what you actually have to do to win a slam most of the time. I read that slam run differently. I think the only player I thought played badly of the ones that she beat was Bencic. 
Really? The other way around? Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. Um, I thought I, I I thought that maybe not badly, but um the quarterfinal was the one match that Emma looked wobbly. Yeah. Um and gritted it out with Ben Chich. Um, but I thought she dealt with I thought Zachary tried to come out firing in that semi-final and Emma's level surprised her. Um, yeah. And then Fernandez, that was straight sets, but it was super competitive. Yeah, it was, good match. Sets. It was a really, really good. Uh, the match didn't deserve to always be six plus three or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, six, six, um, it was just back and forth all the way. Uh, I think a bit like with Ostapenko, like Ostapenko, Ostapenko was another sort of where did that come from slam run? Uh, and she has started and like she's shown her a game since but not at the biggest tournaments yeah picking it I mean, up but now she saying... kind of, she's fig she's figured out how to be consistent yeah that's what i mean consistent at her a game you're right yeah. she just doesn't draw her she doesn't have a big game she just never ever when she does she's like losing to top what was it like she almost lost to that 700 franc player not to slight the 700 franc player i'm sure she's a good player but ostapenko at her best i mean that you know it shows you just the peaks and troughs of that A game are mad. So, should we just say that Emma Raducanu's B game is higher than Yelena Ostapenko's B game? Yeah, 100% is. 100% is. Um, yeah, look, Mick, I, I, I really, I, I feel like sometimes people maybe are just like, what are you talking about when I say this sort of stuff about Emma? But uh, honestly, it's been, what, coming up for three years now? Um, by the time it gets to the US Open, when did she win the US Open 2021? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but she um, is also, she won it when she was 18. She's still a developing player. She is. That, that's kind of what I mean. Like, just see what happens. I, I, but don't use the US Open as a benchmark. I, think I don't. I, I'm certainly not predicting Emma to win another slam in 2024. The landscape doesn't allow for it. Yeah. Really. Um, you've got Iga, Elena, Arena and Coco who've got it kind of locked down and someone's got to, to, to kind of someone's got to have to prove that they can join them and the level they're setting is so high that very few people can consistently do that yeah and i don't think it'd be fair to expect emma to do the same i feel the same about osaka right now yeah that'll be interesting to see where that goes but i agree with you definitely yeah. um, um should we move should on we... to the next tournament next? uh so before we preview qatar i just want to quickly talk about Cluj because there are two stories from Cluj i think worth talking about one karina plechkova won it first title in four That's years it. uh which is incredible i did i i know that, i think she had a lot of opportunities in 2021 i know that like she got to all those finals she got to the wimbledon final rome final canada final um a player of her caliber who's been former world number one, two Grand Slam finals. I am surprised that it's taken her this long to win another title. And she did it without being seeded at a 250, which I remember saying last week um, was just sounded mental to me that Caroline Pushkiff was a point in her career where she wasn't seeded for a 250. Yeah, she's been a very odd player recently, hasn't she? You know, I, I, used to expect so much of her and then just in kind of the blink of an eye all of a sudden we were kind of expecting her she could lose to anybody you know who knew basically um i think juan ignacio did a really good tweet i'll just get that up it's the second longest run for a former world number one to win consecutive titles 
in history. I think 1,491 days. So, yeah, literally just over uh, four years, which is a fair while. The longest was Martina Hingis, which was between 2002 Tokyo to 2006 Rome. Which was a so, weird setup anyway, because Hingis didn't play for two or three years during that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, different story to Pliskova. I think Pliskova is more of an oddity, I would say. Um, and that just what happened. You know, I, I, she, she's just got this amazing... She, she's got such a good game. It's unreal. And to be fair, although she won that title in 2020, it was Brisbane, I, I do think her best level did still come after that. When she got to the final against Barty at Wimbledon, for example, I thought the level she brought to that tournament was insanely good. That was to the best, you know, you can see from Pliskova. And by the way, the fact she hadn't made a, a grass court final previous to that was just like, what is going on? Was it just Wimbledon, maybe? I don't know. But she hadn't got past the second round at Wimbledon, I think. Yeah. And it, was, it was just absolutely odd to me. Um, she's got the perfect game for it. Flat, show, flat, flat strokes, even. Big, big serve. Um, yeah, it's good to see her back, Nick. It's good to see her back. She's such a good player when she's on her, on her best. And I do think she's a little bit unique in that her serve is like a proper weapon when it's on and she hits very flat shots in a different way from other players. It's it, She's got a very, uh, I don't know, it's hard to describe it. It's just like a cannon, basically, for a, for a shot. It's like a, as flat as a pancake, basically. When she's on, it's, yeah, she's brilliant. Um, but having such a flat game has its risks, Yeah, uh, of course. I, let's not get too ahead of ourselves because there was no one in the top 40 in that tournament. Um, so... Uh, let's not get too carried away, but I think Pliskova has kind of demonstrated that she has at least a top 50 level in her still. Uh, but, you know, she's she's consistently bringing her higher level less and less and less. But I think it's a good news story for her, and I'm really glad that she's ended that title drought because um, it was ridiculous. And like she even mentioned it in her on-court interviews that, yeah, it's been a while and she really, really wanted it. Um, the other story from Cluj I wanted to get your view on um, as a fellow Brit, Harriet Dart, first WTA semi-final. Back in the top 100, we've got three Brits at the top 100 now. A little bit, I mean, I wasn't. Good, I don't think it was out of nowhere because I've been seeing her climbing back up the rankings a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought that was. Uh, I thought that was a really good run. I don't know if it's repeatable. It might be like Katie Swan a couple of years ago at that 250 in Asia. Um, yeah. but I thought Harriet looked quite good this week. Yeah, honestly, Harriet Dart's a, a great player, actually. I think a lot of that stemmed from her kind of run, or her wins even, that she got at the end of 2022 when she was doing so well at the Belgian King Cup, and she's beaten all these really, really big players, and it seems like her peak's absolutely fantastic. I do think maybe her weaponry, though, just allow it doesn't quite reach the the peaks that would allow her to to break the top twenty, for example. Again, kind of like Emma, I would ex- I, I think she could make top fifty. I think she's a good enough player for that. Honestly, I I honestly am not sure why she's not because at her best, you're kind of like everything just looks so clean. There's not really any danger of her missing a lot of the time, but she's still able to hit the ball really, like really really purely. Maybe her serve's not the biggest, but there's loads of WT players who don't have the biggest serves and still have, you know, the most immaculate ground game that allow them to break this this sort of top 50. So, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why she's not as high-ranked as she is. Um, 
And it's good to see her doing well. I, I honestly think she could continue, kind of like Emma. I think the two of them deserve to be in the top 50 at least. So hopefully she can keep up this kind of momentum and keep keep going, Nick. Yeah. Look, let's see. I think, yeah, Dart's got the potential to uh, bring some entertainment and some good news uh, for uh, British tennis fans. Uh, but that was that. That doesn't need to be too much of a deep conversation. I just wanted to throw it out there because I think she was one of the stories of uh, Cluj. All right, so let's move on because we are now into 1,000 season in the WTA. We are heading for the Middle East double. I don't know if it's actually called that, but it's what I'm calling it. Uh, and yeah, we are into Doha where we've got, it's um, obviously it's 1,000, so the big players are there, but we are missing some some notable names. Mukova pulled out, which is disappointing, but the other missing name is Arena Sabalenka which I was a little bit surprised by, but maybe she needs a little bit more time to recover from Australia. Um, but yeah, this is um, Iga Svantec going for her third consecutive Doha title back on court and looking to right some wrongs from Australia. Yeah, trying to just piece together which one was what. So we had the one two years ago against Peak Contivate, right? And then we yes. had last year. So that was the last the, 1,000... The and then we had the 500 last year, yeah, against uh, against Jess. Um, she's untouchable at Doha. I honestly think I like. I honestly think that's one of the tournaments that should just be like Iga's from the word go. They might as well just give it to her now because the conditions are beautiful for her. They're so good, just because it's like very, very um, sea level. Uh, you know, very, very heavy air. Um, very good for spin. You know, I think every ball she hits will feel like a bullet or. Not a bullet, something heavy, the opposite of that, Nick. You get the idea, though. Um, a, a bowling ball is, is what I should have went for. It should be very heavy for the opponent, just very easy to get overpowered in those conditions. Um, barring any kind of eager nerves or lack of confidence, she should take the title. Well, her opening round against Serana Castella, so that should be a good matchup for her. Um, I think the one that eager fans are going to be slightly worried about is whether Ostapenko makes the quarterfinals. Because Ostapenko's in that section. Well, that's great news for Iga because that is a very good chance for her to get her first win against Ostapenko. I think that again, it should be good conditions for her. It'll be a little harder for Ostapenko to hit through the court in slower conditions. Let's actually have a little look. I haven't um, looked at the Iga Penko yeah. head to head for a wee while. I want to see what. Zero four uh, for Ostapenko. I knew, I knew that. I knew it was four zero, but I was wondering what. Um, where they played, you know, if they played oh, somewhere yeah. this slow in the past, basically. So look at all Open, of them. US Open last year, and then before that was Dubai in 22, the match before the streak kicked off. That was the last that, two times they played, and I don't know what the other two were. So the other two were Birmingham, grass courts, and then Indian Wells. So Indian Wells is about your slowest there, and fair enough. Maybe that is a match that you possibly should have, could have been winning. It was what, what six year, It was 2021. So to be fair, you know, that's before Iga really took off. You know, she's still still a good player at that point, but that, that was before 2022 when she went into God mode. Um nowadays, uh, I would say in a slower hardcore, yeah, she should be the favorite. And I mean they've had close matches. You know, the Dubai one was seven six in the third. Uh, the last one they played at the US Open, of course, still three sets, and Iga had her chances and then kind of went away in the third set. But that was quick, you know, it's quick conditions. I, I honestly think in slower conditions, especially if you see the odds. Online, I might be putting a wee bet on that because I think Iga could end up being the non-favourite there. And even if it's slight, I, I, I do think she should be considered the favourite. 
as an eager fan, obviously I want to see that. Um, because, you know, I, I it's the, the, the zero four record is, is bothering me and I would like to see at least one win in that head to head. Um, and I think, as I said before, I think I, I, I don't think anyone beats eager for five times in a row. <laughs> Might be my words. I don't know. Uh, the other question, of course, is whether Ostapenko makes it because we know how Ostapenko is. She's hot for one tournament and then off the next. Mm-hmm. Ostapenko would have either Raducanu or Kalanina in, in her opener. I would expect her to win whichever, um, depending on how Ostapenko, depending whether she's playing her A or her B game. Um, then she's potentially got third round against either Haddad Meyer or Azarenka. Azarenka, we know how she is against. <laughs> Haddad Meyer, yeah. Could be that's the that's the one I don't know which way to call it. <laughs> yeah, they're not Gibbons, are they? There's there's, there's absolutely not one hundred percent certainty that Ostapenko makes the quarters. And um, honestly, whatever happens, I, I don't think Iga will really mind. Um, I, I I just honestly the the conditions are just so lovely for her. I remember <laughs> in particular when she played Contivate, who to be fair was like only really peaking indoors, but she was still playing amazingly. She just didn't stand a chance. Like even the two games that she won, it was just constantly, constantly getting overpowered. Didn't matter what she threw at her. And uh, Iga, let's not forget, Iga's actually playing well. You know, I think everybody looks at the headline, lost at the Australian Open, um, but she would won like you know what three tournaments on the bounce? Is that right? Or two on the bounce? And um, before that, uh, she was playing very well, and she still is playing very well. And I would expect her in great conditions to continue to play very well, Nick. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, I think Eager is the favourite here. Um, doesn't mean she's going to win, but I think she's the, mo- the more likely player to win in the current field. If Sabalenka was in the field, it'd be a different question. Yeah, yeah I uh, think so too. I mean, PR's kind of saying, well, Rabakina, but I've, we said earlier, like, I, it depends if Rabakina's still got energy to make it through. I actually think a young, a young quarterfinal could be a problem for her. Yeah, I think, um, again, a little slower. Rebecca doesn't really matter for her because she's got such a big game and on hard courts as well. That serve's still going to do a lot of damage. I'd call it about 50-50, um, especially if she's been a bit tired. Rebecca, when she's just a little slower around the court, um, certainly on the backhand, starts to spray a bit, um, or on both sides, to be honest. Yeah, if she's just a little bit hampered, then she it, things can get a bit ugly for her. So, yeah, she, that, that's what um, Charlie's saying there. Loses the energy quickly. That's what it starts to look like. Um, it's a little bit harder for her to keep up with her opponent. So, I, yeah, I would certainly not the favourite, Nick. I mean, come on. Uh, I don't know don't know what uh, discourse has been spread there, but Iga has to be the favourite. Has to be the favourite. Yeah, especially given that in all likelihood, the finals against Goff, who we know about that matchup, is very much favourable for Iga. I think Coca's got a very good opportunity of making the final, though. Um, mm-hmm. Looking at her draw, she's got Siniakova in her opener, then either Collins, Bushkova, or Kenin in the third round. Um, that could be a tricky one, but then once she gets through it, I think she's going to have an advantage over whoever she plays in the quarters. Did she not? Then, did she? Did she play Collins at Doha once? And it was a Gavin. But then this is a new. This is a new Coco. Oh, I think it's Collins. Sorry, Coco. Yeah, Coco. Yeah. Uh, Coco's always going to be a problem. Yeah, nowadays Coco's definitely always going to be a problem. Doesn't matter the fact that Ego's got a very heavy head-to-head against her. I still think it could be tough. Um, 
But she I, again, she'd be the favourite. I think I talked to you once about the crazy matchup differences between Iga and Coco, and that pretty much every time Iga should be considered the heavy favourite, especially in slower conditions. Yeah, if that matchup does happen, then Iga's still the heavy favourite for me. Somebody else as well, sorry, I know this is Charlie again, saying in the comments, Ostapenko won the French Open on clay, slow conditions. I think that, I mean, the, the fact is, going into this tournament, everybody's looking at that potential Iga Ostapenko quarterfinal, because most of us are thinking Iga's the favourite. I, I would say Ostapenko's not bad in slow conditions, I didn't say that at any point. Like Rebecca, she's got a big enough game that it doesn't really matter what the conditions are like a lot of the time. But I more think the boost for Iga in these conditions is going to be pretty overwhelming. That's that's it's not about Ostapenko being worse; it's about Iga being better for sure. Mm. That, that makes her the heavy favorite for me. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I think I know that we probably need to wrap up very shortly. So um, I just want to ask you one last question, which is like about the the round one headline match which everyone jumped on when the draw came out and there's a few really really good one runs in this draw by the way which some of which already happened uh but the one that everyone's talking about is that rematch of Osaka and Garcia um from the Australian Open and I just want to know Statman what chance are you giving Ostapenko of avenging uh, no, Ostapenko what chance are you giving Osaka of avenging that I am going to say Garcia wins that, I think. A um, little slower. Again, uh, one of those players that, again, like Ostapenko, Rabakina, still hits the ball so cleanly and big from the back of the court that it doesn't make too much of a difference. But it's more about form. I do think that Osaka's still got a little bit of a step behind the other players at the moment. I think she'll get it back, but it's probably still too early for her to be beating players of Garcia's caliber, even if Garcia isn't the most reliable nowadays, uh, you know, I still think when she's when she's on, especially against a top player in a first round with plenty of energy, she probably will bring her A game, and I think that'll be a little too much at this stage of the comeback for Naomi Osaka. There we go. Uh, I I would agree with that. I think Osaka needs to get an easier draw at some point to play herself into form, and she's been getting yeah. some toughies recently. Yeah. Uh, what we wish for Garcia. Whoever she had in Abu Dhabi. All right. Well, thanks, Jack, for coming on. Um, hope that was. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, yeah. I hope you're looking forward to Doha and you catch as much as possible. But you're on uh, duty at the uh, Glasgow Challenger this week, aren't you? I am. Yeah. Yeah. So if anybody fancies it, I'll be hosting on Saturday and Sunday at Scottsdale in Glasgow. Maybe we've got some Glaswegian viewers today. I don't know. Um, it should be a good laugh. We've got a good field. Um, there's some some good players there. Hopefully, I, I'm fingers crossed. I'm not biased at all, genuinely, because it's a Belgian player. But uh, we've got Alexander Blocks in the draw, who's a very, very interesting, exciting up and comer. I, I'm hoping we get him in the final. So 100% should come down if he does manage to get through the draw. There we go. Plugging the Challenger Tour. Who? Everyone's going to wonder if this is ATP Weekly with Damien. Uh, <laughs> right, well... And- Talking of ATP Weekly, that is coming up. Keep an eye on the channel uh, for um, our ATP roundup from the week with uh, Damien um, and hopefully Mario, if he's feeling better. Um, thanks, Jack, for coming on. Um, follow Jack at, on the line. And listen to his podcast when he, when he eventually does another episode. Yeah. Um, and, uh, <laughs> uh, we'll, uh, we'll catch you soon um, during the week. And, of course, we'll be back next week for more WTA Weekly to wrap up everything that's happened in Doha. 
I'm looking forward to everything that's going to come up. I'll catch you then. Till then, take care and keep talking tennis. Cheers, Nick. If you enjoyed this video, make sure you hit that like button. Don't forget to subscribe and click that notification bell so you don't miss out on all things tennis. Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.